Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Pastor, where we look at movies, music, comics, and more from the perspective of faith. Welcome to the show, everyone. We are now beginning our end-of-the-year coverage. So today we're going to be talking about the best books of 2022. My guest today is my friend Dara Tinius, who is a librarian with the Metropolitan Library System in Oklahoma City. So I'm bringing in someone who, who seems to know some things about books. She's always who I go to for recommendations for what to get my wife for Christmas. So we'll, we'll talk about that after <laughs> we're recording. Uh, but welcome to the show, Dara. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we've been wanting to have you on for, for a while, and uh, figured this is the best time to get uh, such a book nerd on here for us to <laughs> share some of these things. We, uh, I guess we went to college together, but we didn't really know each other. Uh, you were friends with, with Anna Jane, with my wife. Yeah. And it's really only been recent years, I think, that we've connected and realized we have a lot of the same interests. And... Mm-hmm. One of our shared interests is Anna Jane. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yes, um, of course. Who doesn't love Anna Jane? As I always say, everyone else is is a dummy for not marrying her. You got her first. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so that, if nothing else, that proves that I have good taste. Whether even if you disagree with my taste in books or comics <laughs> or whatever, I got good taste there. Well, one of the things that we usually like to do on the show is uh, let our guests give us a little bit of their spiritual bio. So, if you just want to share a couple minutes about. Uh, your journey spiritually with church and and so on. Kind of give us a little bit of that. Okay. Yeah, we said earlier that I was on the deconstruction train and I said it was more like a train wreck. So we'll... (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) What a time. Yes, that's that's been a theme in a lot of the episodes, uh, deconstruction (laughs) and faith and how you move on from that. What a time to be alive. (laughs) Mm, Yes. Makes my job very easy. Yeah, I bet it's like a walk in the park every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, like you and Anna Jean, was raised Church of Christ. My whole life, my whole family, my extended family. As far as I know, back until I think they were some of the early, early adopters of Church of Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like, you know. So, so all like a hundred years or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We're not we're not a really old movement. That was a dig. <laughs> it's two hundred. I never said I was good at math. That's why I'm a librarian. <laughs> um. So yeah, I I mean I grew up going to conservative but fairly mainstream Church of Christ. Like I didn't. I mean they were very conservative but not like one cover yeah no 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 offense to one covers but (laughs) like not like um not too hateful or too um i don't know i i i say that they weren't fundamentalists but i mean in their beliefs they are fundamentalists Mm -hmm. in their actions they weren't maybe if that if that makes sense like um you know very kind people who i think had really good intentions um, but you know, really, honestly, when even when I was a kid, I'd be like, "This is weird. Like, w- what about this?" <laughs> and then that was not that was not encouraged. So it was always just like, "Oh, well, I shouldn't be asking those questions, or if there's something wrong with me, or if I had more faith, I wouldn't be asking those questions." You know, um, the thing that always bothered me the most and first was um, the lack of women. Um, involved in anything uh, aside from children's ministry or director mm-hmm. of children's ministry. Yes, not, not minister. <laughs> Coordinator. <Director. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, but I was a very a good girl. I was the oldest child. I was going to do what I was supposed to do. And this is what was right and the only right way as far as I knew. And so I just had to try harder, pray harder, be better. And if I fit mm-hmm. in, um, then it would all, you know, I remember somebody telling me one time, well, if you just, you know, multiple times, if you just get more involved, if you just find your mm-hmm. ministry, if you just work harder, then all of this would make sense. And it's like, okay. 
So, um, and that, I mean, I was able to do that despite some misgivings until like a lot of people, I think 2016 was kind of, where I was like, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think so. <laughs> and so that kind of began the real, especially I have two daughters and um, mm. they were hitting kind of puberty pre-youth group times. And so it was getting a lot more um, impactful to me is what they were hearing, what they weren't, weren't hearing and who they weren't hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of had a night when my oldest daughter was in sixth grade and we were just hearing some, again, by very people with good intentions, just some women role mm-hmm. stuff that I was like, no. like I I will not Mm -hmm. be doing this (laughs) I will not I will not be telling my daughter this I will not Mm -hmm. I will not we will not (laughs) and so I think we left church that night and I was just like I can't do this anymore and I don't Mm -hmm. know when or how but we have to get out of this for our girls and then so we kind of moved to a more progressive church of Christ which they were lovely and a very uh, soft place to fall for a couple of years. You know, then I had more things in my life that were, because once you start to see injustice in one area, you start to see it in all the other areas. So, mm-hmm. and that has been true with like the Black Lives Matter movement and, and um, so many of the protests. But what really started kind of weighing on my heart was a lot of the LGBTQ Christian um you know, just people I was hearing from who were devastated and hurt and their lives were at risk and um, who had been, who were so broken by every aspect of what they'd been through in church. So now um, we kind of just needed to rest for a little while and maybe we even should have probably rested longer. So we just didn't go anywhere Mm. for a while. Um, but we have found a really lovely Episcopalian church that we really love that's affirming. And, and um, so we go there now. And um, so I guess I'm Episcopalian. (laughs) Congratulations. The old Church of Christ Episcopalian pipeline. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Well, it's obviously more complicated for me if I were going to change, but yes, there are a lot of, I don't know if there's any this year, but, like last year, like two of my favorite books were Episcopalian authors. And I actually had a dream one night after I'd been reading one of them that I like changed over there, like changed mm-hmm. my ordination and all of that. So yeah, books, they can be a bad influence. I um. know. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I used to read a lot of spiritual like memoirs and like, especially when I started like, you know, the deconstruction, a lot of like mm-hmm. theology and just stuff that I had never been exposed to because to be honest, when I was, girls were not really encouraged to read that. I mean, it was a lot of, there was some fluff stuff that they might have you read, like Lady in Waiting or mm-hmm. things like that. And, um, but I didn't really know a lot of the other stuff. And I remember mm-hmm. reading this uh, memoir called Take This Bread by Sarah Miles. And I remember that was very that was probably the most impactful thing I read that just kind of blew my world open a little bit. And I think probably led me to um, where I am spiritually now, maybe more than any other book. Uh, But I also know that like, (laughs) I was, I was talking with my husband and I was like, I feel like Chris's listeners are going to be very disappointed. (laughs) Cause I, I have stopped, I have stopped reading most of the, like the spiritual theology I think after everything happened this year it was like I just need to not read about that for a while I need mm-hmm. to like I know what I believe and it's not that I feel like I'm at the stopping place because that's not how faith works and it's like mm-hmm. I really don't want to read anything else about Paul or like agreements or, or disagreements or or pro and con or I don't I don't want to I don't <laughs> Yeah. And so I just needed a break from that. And so I have taken that. <laughs> okay. So we won't be hearing any uh, big theological recommendations uh, from you. But no. I, I, <laughs> I, 
I will I will cover that, but I will also talk about a lot of comic books because uh, those are those are my two main interests: theology and comics, mm-hmm. um, one or the other. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. One of the other things we like to start with is uh, first pop culture interests. So, what were some of the first things that you were interested in? Uh, maybe books, but but other things as well as you were growing up that really got you into into reading or, mm-hmm. or passionate about other kinds of fandom. Um, the book that got me into like reading with a capital R um, was definitely Anne of Green Gables. I always say like if I had had social media when I was like nine and ten, or well, I guess you should you should be a little bit older, but I don't know. Oh, what did the youths yeah. do? When did the youths get on Tumblr? Um, I would have definitely had like a Gilbert Blythe Tumblr. <laughs> there would have been lots of <laughs> gifts and memes. Of, uh, I just loved it. I I loved this the fantasy world that she lived in and the language, and it was dramatic because she had this horrible orphan upbringing, and it was such a different experience than from you know my life, which is what makes books interesting to read. So I was very into Anne. I think the first time I ever like binge, like as far as like more like pop culture, like uh, getting into all of the related stuff was like Babysitter's Club, like going and reading like 200 Babysitter's Club books and the super specials and the little sister. And there were all the different kinds. And I was like, I am going to start a Babysitter's Club. And I just not because I didn't really like babysitting, but I liked reading about it. <laughs> um, so that was really fun. And then I was always, my, um, I was always very into Star Wars. Like that was kind of our, like the geek thing that our mm-hmm. family was into. Um, my dad watched a lot of Star Trek too. And so that was always kind of on in the background. But Star, Star Wars, I was very good at finding the, the romantic part of a uh, story like that and really lasting on. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was very like yeah. into like the Princess Leo Han Solo thing. Yeah. This early sh- early shipping. <laughs> early shipping. Um <laughs> like I would do that even I remember I would watch like G.I. Joe and be like, I feel like Scarlett and Duke are gonna get together at this time. <laughs> <laughs> like it was I like I can yeah, I can nice. feel the chemistry or like X Men. Nice. I'd be like I don't really care about the power stuff. Let's talk more about this love triangle between. Mm-hmm. That, <laughs> I mean that actually is a pretty important part of X Men. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk more about X Men okay, in just see, a little bit. I never so. read the comic books, but I did watch the cartoon. Um, okay, that's the number of people who said yeah the X Men '90s cartoon was was big for me. Like maybe it's just because I'm talking to people of a certain age. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was pretty formative for a lot of us. It was impactful. So yeah, I mm-hmm. yeah, Star Wars. I used to make my little brother and little sister be Ewoks, and I was Princess Leia, and I would boss them around and nice. do all that. So yeah, that was definitely <laughs> Anna Green Gables and Star Wars. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> the, the the main yeah the pillars of pop culture. Yes, <laughs> the Anna Green Gables cinematic universe mm-hmm. coming soon. Well, speaking of things that we're passionate about, like I said. Uh, this is starting uh, three or four episodes that we're going to be doing on the podcast of uh, kind of summing up the year 2022. So today we're talking about books. Next week uh, is going to be about music. That's right. We're, we're going back to weekly for a little bit. Uh, so music next week. And then after that, we'll do TV and movies. And then after that, uh, we'll, we'll just end with some special end of the year consolations and desolations. But today we're talking books. So Dara... Uh, you mentioned you haven't read any uh, deep theology this year, but uh, what's what's one of the books that you read that really impacted you or that you loved this year? So, again, this is what we call in the sports world a rebuilding year. Is that the right term? Okay, sure. <laughs> I am wearing a Chiefs oh. hoodie because I care about fantasy football and stuff now, which is you not should. on brand for me, but it happened. Yeah, I... Uh, I I am just a little raccoon playing around in my trash can these days. Like I just love <laughs> I you're not gonna come to me for literary fiction. You're not gonna come to me for I don't know, the I will I mean I, you're not gonna go read a Nobel Prize winner. I'm gonna tell you that right now. There's not a National mm-hmm. Book Award, not usually gonna be my 
portrait. <laughs> Although sometimes I accidentally read them. Usually the mm-hmm. YA, usually the YA ones, but I'm never gonna okay. be like, I want a happy ending. I want escapism. I want to just be kind of swept away by the characters. I am so much more into romance and um, fantasy and things that I had kind of, you know, maybe been more into as a teenager. I'm kind of going back to those things. Well, I think we all do that at at various points and in different ways. You know, I was thinking broadly about like my year in books. You know, I mentioned I read theology and I read comic books, but depending on what, what time of life I'm in or what phase of life or how the week is going, it may just be comic books or it may not be reading at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I started this doctor of ministry program. So a lot of what I had to read this year was, was for school. Yeah. So I could recommend lots of books on like church leadership, but I don't think that's what most people are interested in. Um, some of the, a, a couple still made it on <laughs> onto my list, but I'm not going to talk about them here really. And, uh, and really in recent months, you know, You've been fairly confessional, so I can also be pretty confessional. I've had work that I need to be doing for research for my degree that I haven't really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't been reading that. And since I'm not doing that reading, it felt like I shouldn't be doing other reading either. Yeah. And so I've just been reading nothing. You're uh, petishing so, yourself. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I, again, the comic books would still kind of work their way in. But you know, a lot of what I tend to read when when I'm not in school is like, Theological stuff that isn't too deep, you know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's for a popular level, but you can tell it's based on good scholarship or they they know what they're talking about. And I mean, two of my favorites, I think, really fit in that category. Uh, but I read both of those like in the first half of the year, so I had to look at them again today. So like, okay, what was this actually about? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, right. We all go in these phases of sometimes reading is hard, and I know like we're both big on you know, keeping track on Goodreads of everything that you read and yes. and how many, you know, did you read this year? And especially in recent years, it's been hard to have the motivation and energy to do that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I hope people that are listening, you know, that you find some things that maybe sound interesting to you and, and you can check out, but, you know, we never want to guilt people into, why aren't you reading more? Why aren't you reading about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does take energy for some of these things. And, uh, that's, I think, part of the beauty of of books and and mu- movies as well, and and shows is they can be that escapism when when you need it. Now, some's better than others, and so you know, I, I assume that's what we're going to be talking about yeah. is what are some of these fantasy or sci-fi or, or comics that you know, yeah, it's it's going to let you step out of the the day-to-day problems that we're facing, but it's written well and it's t- doing something interesting. All right, so enough preamble. What's uh, what's your first pick today? So I loved Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. It is actually not fantasy or any of those things. It's a a solid historical fiction. Um, That's my favorite book that I read this year that I think (laughs) that that would end up on other people's favorites list. Some of the other ones. Well, that's what matters. Yeah, some of my other favorites, people would be like, (laughs) but... uh, it is, uh, it's set in the 60s, and it's about this woman named Elizabeth who uh, wants to be a scientist, and being a woman scientist in the early 1960s is not easy, um, mm. and she is basically pushed out of her career, <laughs> weird, mm. and um, she ends up, and she has a lot of personal um, tragedy and turmoil, and ends up being a single mother. Um, which is not really a spoiler because that's pretty early on. And uh, so she decides to use her knowledge of chemistry to uh, make her daughter like, okay, I, I make these nutritious meals. Um, her kitchen is a lab. And so she'll make all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it ends up, she meets with a television producer who ends up putting her on like kind of a PBS style cooking show. And so she becomes this, huge sensation like kind of a julia child type like Mm. oh like everyone's like who is this lady why is she so weird why is she so strange oh i want to i want to watch her all the time and so all these women are taking um they're coming in to learn how to bake a cake but they're getting all these lessons on chemistry like at the Mm. actual um scientific 
method and she's in in that she's also making a lot of people angry because she's talking a lot about a lot of things you're not supposed to talk about on tv back then um there is an ant there's an anthropomorphic dog who i named 630 <laughs> so the dog now i'm in the dog had some narration and i love that dog so much <laughs> um so it's just uh it is a sweet story there is you know there actually is a faith component to this book she is a very uh, avowed atheist and she's very vocal about that throughout the book. And that doesn't change, nor do they like preach about that changing or, but she has some interactions with some other people who do have faith, both, both negative and positive interactions. I think could be really interesting to somebody kind of seeing um, how that plays out in her story. So I love it. It's this author's debut novel. It does not read like a deb- oh. debut novel. It's so good. So I really, that would be my, um, like, this is a well-written, you won't be embarrassed to read this in public. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's our first major concern here on Pop Culture Passer. You won't be embarrassed to read this. <laughs> that's yeah. what Kindle's yeah. for. All right. So uh, the title of that one, one more time. It's Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Well, my first pick of one of my favorites is a book called Say Yes by Scott Erickson. Uh, two of my favorite books, actually, I discovered the authors through Instagram, um, which I don't, I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just kind of a thing. Uh, so he is an artist. Uh, if, you, if you're on Instagram, he goes by Scott the Painter. Uh, if you follow me, you probably have seen me share his stuff because he does a lot of you know religious-themed art, but like just saying religious art already sounds kind of cringy, but it's <laughs> actually really amazing. And um, just a single image can can really make you think or uh, open something up. So the book is actually adapting this uh, the show that he puts on. He tours and does kind of storytelling. And, you know, he says early on, if life is a miracle, why does the miracle suck sometimes? <laughs> and if God is the giver of the miracle, where is the giver in the middle of all the suckiness? Um, so that's right. That's kind of the deconstruction question that I think we've we've wrestled with before. Uh-huh. Acknowledging life as a miracle, life as a gift, but it doesn't always feel that way. And he, you know, he's very confessional through this of his struggles as an artist and just struggles as, as a human being. Um, and the voices that that encourage us to give up. Um, right. The three main arguments he talks about that that we hear are that nothing's going to change. You suck, and dying is better than living. Mm. Uh, and so he's he's pushing back against all those. And again, this is not just like a, a motivational speaker kind of person who's you know <laughs> figured it all out and has everything together. It's like this is what I deal with every day, and and just kind of feels like that's what everybody's everybody's dealing with. Um, and so you know one of the really interesting points that he makes, you know, going to that last idea that that dying is better than living. Right? He, he's someone who struggled with suicidal thoughts. Um, and so, you know, content warning, if that's something that might be difficult for some people. Uh, but he has this whole section in there where he talks about, he's comparing the evangelical, probably overemphasis on the end of the world and this tendency to make predictions about, well, here's when Jesus is going to come back. It's going to be soon. It's going to be, you know, in, in this date and just, you know, next year. He compares that with, um, the idea of suicide, or at least how he struggled with it, that they're both coming from this impulse, this desire not to be here, yeah. right? That, that this world, this life is not working out the way that I want it to. It, it seems too hard. And so we just want to be somewhere else or just not be here at all. And he has this image. He, since he's an artist, uh, the book has a lot of pictures in it. So if that <laughs> is appealing to some people, you know, going back to <laughs> some of the early reading we used to do, they had lots of pictures. This has lots of fun pictures in it. Uh, he talks about Jesus as the cosmic janitor. That, oh. right, we're just kind of waiting. Well, when Jesus comes back, he'll just fix everything, right? There's, okay, maybe there are a lot of problems and injustices in the world, but we don't need to worry about fixing those because Jesus is going to come back any day uh-huh. and he's going to deal with that. We just need to like make sure that our souls are ready to to escape. And so he's he's arguing that like both that emphasis in the evangelical world and and some of the ways that he and others have uh, struggled with the issue of suicide is it, it's this attempt to control the pain 
of being here. And so he, he's working through how do you respond to those, those voices, that, those negative arguments. And one of the things he focuses on is, is wonder, uh, the sense of awe. He calls wonder the rapturous experience of being alive. And, you know, that, that sounds nice, but that's, that's not always easy. And uh, things tend to get familiar, but that we become a visitor to your own life, right? Look at your life uh, from the outside and see what there is in it that, that can inspire wonder and awe. I want to actually read a quote. So here he's, he's saying something about love, about God, and, and how those fit together. It says, God is love. And love wants to pour itself into you. But you can't receive love if you secretly hate the person love made you to be. This body, life, soul is the only container you've been given to receive love in. And if all you're doing day after day is trying to trade out that container, then love will always fall flat. You, right now, are the container love wants to pour into. And there's, I'll, I'll share it later, but there's a picture of <laughs> and there's a picture. <laughs> water that's just pouring onto a table next to a cup. <laughs> and so it's, you know, this uh, loving yourself in the sense, uh, like that's, you know, a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, but, you know, that God made you to be who you are and God loves that person. So if you hate that person, you're kind of shutting out that, that divine love. Mm-hmm. And, and so it kind of summarizes, you know, so pushing it back against those three Negative arguments, nothing's going to change, you suck, dying's better than living, with uh, the practice of, of saying, believing that I'm on my way, right? Okay, things may not all change overnight, but I'm, I'm working on it, I'm a work in progress. Um, instead of thinking that, that you suck or that you're ugly or, or nothing, you say, I'm a contribution, right? That you have something to add, you have a voice, you have gifts. And then, I think most importantly, and, and the most theological uh, the response to dying is better than living is that I'm a resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so it's acknowledging that, well, yeah, death is actually going to be part of your story, but newness comes out of that. That's uh, I actually have one of his his prints hanging in my office that's, it's a coffin with a tree growing out of it. Mm. Right? Resurrection, the idea that new life only comes after something else. It's not just getting to escape, it's it's going through all the messiness of, of this life and gain new eyes to see something different. So that's uh, Say Yes by Scott Erickson, a.k.a. Scott the Painter. So uh, something a little uplifting there. What's another pick from you, Dara? Okay, so I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do like a quick trilogy of romance mm-hmm. here. So okay. I'm going to talk about, so I'm playing in the trash can, but it's the most delicious trash. I have good taste in trash. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> good taste in trash. Can, I love put it. that on my tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not trash. I feel like, especially women, we yeah. have this reflexive, like need to make excuses for like things that we're reading that are more. And it's, I mean, it's mainly because there's like romance and things. Um, but I was like, other people don't do that with their genres. So I'm not going to be embarrassed about it anymore. Except that yeah. I probably will because of period (laughs) (laughs) so um first one is book lovers by emily henry i loved it so much it is of course perfect if you love books and it's about a two editors kind of rival book editors who fall in love shocking but with all of emily henry's stories first of all she writes beautiful dialogue like you will just be like, oh, this is just a fun romance, and then you're like, why am I crying? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I really think she kind of, I mean, it. She gets compared to Nora Ephron a lot, but she does. She has that spark, that like when Harry met Sally, kind of something about her writing where you are just having a good time and it's fun and frothy and not too serious, but you're also like left with this emotional feeling um and she all there's always something else in her stories like this one like they're um you know it's a love story it's kind of like oh we go to the small town we fall in love but also there's one of the characters is getting over the loss of a parent and there's there's always this under the romance that I really love is not just like ooh, 
not spicy mm-hmm. times. It's although <laughs> they're there. Um, <laughs> I always say I used to always be like, I'm a li- I'm a librarian, not your preacher. You can't get mad at me. Um, <laughs> that's my but, job. <laughs> yeah, that's your job. But but there's always they have this emotional component to it as well. Um, so book lovers by Emily Henry, actually anything that Emily Henry writes. I love yeah, all of I've, it. I've actually read one of hers. Uh, Anna I'm Jane convinced me to read uh, People We Meet on Vacation because mm-hmm. we were on vacation yeah. last year. And I was like, well, okay, this is a good vacation <laughs> read. And I enjoyed it. So yeah. this is, uh, as we're as we're breaking down stigmas and, and shame here, like I, guys can enjoy these books too. They're not yeah. just for women. And uh, I'm very proud Because we like of you. love too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very proud and of you. And if this one's about books, then I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. And you know, I think... I think what I've really grown to love about romance is, and it's, you know, kind of maybe, I don't know. It's one of those things that people talk about all the time on the internet. People don't really know what it means, but it really is like celebrating the female gaze. It is the world from women's perspective. It's celebrating women's joy and fulfillment and happiness and women not being, um, maybe victimized or the side characters or, mm-hmm. you know, it's fun. And she's falling in love with this healthy, fun relationship. And guys can learn something in more than one way. So mm. hey, there mm-hmm. you go, fellas. <laughs> take, All right. Yeah. Take, so take another that. reason to check these out. Yeah. So, okay. Hey, I mean, you can go and listen to our Song of Songs <laughs> yeah. songs episode where we talk about some of these same themes. That's another that's a book in the Bible. Yeah. A female character with agency. Yeah. Uh, doesn't fit some of the expectations. So there you go. Okay. All right, Jed, you had a, a couple more. Yeah. So quick in, romance in the same genre. Um, so Part of Your World by Abby Jimenez. Great. It kind of flips the Hallmark trope, um, but makes it, again, this deeper. Um, she's a big city doctor. He's a small town B&B owner. You know, the whole Hallmark mm-hmm. thing, which I don't even... I don't even like Hallmark movies. Apparently I like, but I, um, but, but again, there's this, she's not running from her successful career. She's running from a very toxic uh, relationship she has with her parents um, and not letting her be the kind of doctor she wants to be. And she's in an emotionally abusive relationship and it talks Mm -hmm. getting out of that. And it talks a lot about, emotional abuse and how people discredit uh, that because it's not physical and there's some really like important emotional work being done underneath the oh we're falling in love oh he has a baby goat that wears pajamas like these <laughs> are like they hook you with these things and then there's like this emotional wallop so mm. part of your world by abby jimenez i loved who also abby jimenez was on the food network she won like cake wars or something and i just don't think it's fair that people are good at that many things so <laughs> and stay, then stay in your lane yeah okay and then the last one that i actually just recently finished and this is uh i don't know if i would even it is a romance i don't know if i would put it in the category because it's just more kind of a uh, cozy fiction to me but it's called the very secret society of irregular witches by sangu mandana and it, if you loved uh, The House in the Cerulean Sea or mm-hmm. um, any of the, uh, you will like this book. It is um, about a society of witches. And one of the witches is brought into the situation with this kind of uh, found family of people who have taken it upon themselves to raise these two, three little girl witches. But in this, uh, in the setup for this book, witches are supposed to live separately because if witches live with each other, there's too much power, too much attention, too much danger. Mm. So all of the witches are isolated and don't have family, don't have Mm. these relationships. And so it's like, Oh, what if we could have a family and be witches and be, um, have this, this relationship too. So I really like, it's very magical. It's very sweet. I think that people would like that too. All right. So a little bit of romance and a little mm-hmm. bit more. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to change tax a little bit. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's something that maybe you're embarrassed about. <laughs> I, I struggle in a similar way uh, talking about comic books or, you know, sometimes we'll call them graphic novels to make them sound <laughs> fancier. And 
there's a distinction that I won't get into right now, but these are just comic books. Uh, you know, we, we already mentioned the X-Men and I've been an X-Men fan for, you know, three fourths of my life now. Uh, 92 was actually a pretty big year for the X-Men when I turned 10. But in recent years in the comics, uh, X-Men had kind of gotten a little bit stale. You know, it just kept, they kept repeating the same sorts of stories over and over. And so about three years ago, they had this big change in the status quo where all the mutants went and established their own nation on this uh, island that itself is actually alive and is, is kind of a mutant called Krakoa. And so now mutants are, are all citizens of this nation. And uh, one of the other things that they've been able to do by combining certain powers is that they can bring, uh, they can bring themselves back to life whenever they die, which is kind of lampshading something that happens all the time in comic books, right? Comic book death is uh, a trope where, you know, characters always come back somehow. And so they're just kind of making that explicit where anytime any character dies, they can just bring them back immediately with, with all their memories intact. And, uh, you know, it's, they're forming this new society and, and every mutant is welcome. And so a lot of characters that traditionally have been villains are included in this new society. And so they've been doing lots of interesting storytelling over the last few years of how do you build a new society from the ground up? And uh, a book that started this year is called Immortal X-Men, uh, written by Kieran Gillen. And this is a, a book that follows kind of the, the ruling body of this new nation called the Quiet Council. So it's like 12 different characters, and, and some of them are you know, traditional good guys, right? Professor X is in there, and, and Nightcrawler, and Kitty Pride. But then you also have Magneto, who's you know, uh, back and forth, uh, but then it's had like Actual straight-up supervillains like Mr. Sinister, which if you haven't heard of him, I mean, it's a ridiculous name, but <laughs> it tracks. Um, and so it's kind of, it's like mutant Game of Thrones or something because they're all pushing against each other and they all have their own interests and, and they're playing the politics and thinking about how they interact with the world to establish, you know, their own society. And each issue, I think there's been about uh, eight so far, each issue kind of comes from the viewpoint of a different member of this this council. Uh, and so it's just doing some really interesting storytelling. Um, there's one issue in particular that's more theological uh, to, to track with what we're doing here. There's a character named Exodus who um, is, is just kind of one of these religious zealot types. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole comic uh, on, on his perspective and, and the way he understands uh, mutants and, and how it fits in religion. So... Immortal X-Men, and then another one that, that started recently is called X-Men Red. So in this comic, uh, there's I won't go into all the details <laughs> of it because it gets pretty nerdy, but there's this whole other group of mutants that were in this other dimension for a while, but they've they brought them back, and, and then some of um, the mutants have basically terraformed Mars and claimed it. Um, and so this... This other society that for like a thousand years has been at war is now suddenly in this new place and is trying to figure out how to live in peace. And so it's, it's kind of having this really interesting discussion of what does that look like for a society that's formed by war and violence? Uh, what does it do when there's, there's no more fight? Uh, Storm is a major character in, in that book, and uh, this just reading this has reaffirmed my, my view that Whenever they do make an X-Men movie again, uh, no one can play Storm other than Beyonce because <laughs> that is the energy that Storm has. Uh, and so if you read X-Men Red, you will see what I'm talking about. Um, so those, those are both. There's been a lot of series in this the new X-Men line, but those are my, my favorites this year. Uh, so that's Immortal X-Men by Kieran Gillen and X-Men Red, which is written by Al Ewing. All right. So what's, uh, what's your next pick, Dara? Okay. Uh, so, this one um, is a little bit more in the fantasy, kind of magical realism, um, except it includes dragons. Do we call dragons magical realism? I don't know. Um, so it's <laughs> It depends on how their powers or, or things are They described. were grown in the lab. Um, yeah. yeah. So, this is called When Women Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill, and I actually... Anything that Kelly Barnhill writes is a green light for me. Kelly Barnhill is a, actually a children's author. She writes um, more almost middle grade fiction. She won uh, the Newbery Award 
for one of my favorite books of all time, which is The Girl Who Drinks in Poop, which is exquisite, which also has a dragon in it. But this is her first adult fiction novel. Um, and it's a weird little book. Like, I think that this is probably a divisive book. I think some people will read it or and not like it at all. I loved it and it came at a really good time for me. Um, and it basically is like, it kind of, there is a an event. And there's some similarities between lessons and chemistry. It's really like kind of in a fictional kind of 50s, 60s world. Mm. Um, there is, and kind of playing on some of the like women's movement tropes where mm -hmm. instead of like everyone being like, I'm going to go to work and get a job, there is a mass dragoning and all of the mm -hmm. women are pissed off and they're not going to take it anymore. And they turn into dragons and fly away. <laughs> and so like, Man. there's a spiritual component for you. They're the dragon raptor. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, <laughs> so all of a sudden, all these people are left behind. Like, where did the women go? Where did the moms go? Where did the grandmothers go? Mm -hmm. And not everybody went. And some people started to go, but made themselves stay and regret that they didn't go. Or, you know, there's all these like, and then there's resentment from the kids that were left behind because their moms were like, I can't take it anymore. Goodbye. I'm a dragon. Um, mm -hmm. So there is all these really, there's just, and then there's all these pamphlets that are made about recognize the signs if your wife is becoming a dragon and how to, <laughs> how to keep your daughter from becoming a dragon. And, you know, a lot of like, um, but it's, it, it's just, just talking a lot about women's anger and women's rage and the ways that you keep that bottled inside until it literally explodes into like tooth and claw scales mm. taking to the air with fire. Um, and I did want to read, I have a quote from this one because this book came at a really important time for me. <laughs> so it was, mm. and that may have been dragony time. Yes. A dragony time. Books are so subjective. Like you can read something at mm -hmm. one point in your life and it not connect to you at all. And a different day, you're like, this is the best thing I've ever read. <laughs> so um, that's why I never judge people's book taste, because it's completely subjective. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, the quote from When Women Were Dragons was that I really loved. It said, anger is a funny thing. and It does funny things to us if we keep it inside. I encourage you to consider a question. Who benefits, my dear, when you force yourself to not feel angry? And so... Hmm. Yeah. Who benefits when you force yourself to not feel angry is something yeah. that I have asked myself a lot. Low these many years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's that's the appeal of, of fantasy is it's mm -hmm. taking something right that sounds ridiculous almost, right? Yeah. People turning into dragons, but like I mean it's it's obviously not too subtle what that's getting at. Right. But by putting it in this different you know, scenario, it, it allows you to think about real world kind of stuff. I mean, that's going back to what I was talking about with the X-Men. I mean, that's why they're so loved is this is a group that represents oppressed minorities. Mm -hmm. And and that's, I'm probably going to do a whole episode about this uh, next year at some point of, yeah, what does it mean when an oppressed minority decides we're going to go do our own thing? We don't need you to accept us anymore because mm -hmm. maybe that's never going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's why these, those comics and, and a lot in this new series have been so interesting is it's thinking about some of those issues of, of this subgroup and, and how they, you know, exist on their own mm -hmm. and form something new when they, yeah, in a similar way, just, we're, we're not going to put up with this anymore. So that kind of leads into my other non-comic book pick, which is called This Here Flesh by Cole Arthur Riley. Uh, like I said, my two favorite books came from authors I found on Instagram. So Cole Riley is the creator of the Black Liturgies Instagram. Uh, also definitely recommend following her there. Uh, not daily, but a lot. most days we'll put out some sort of you know, prayer and uh, spiritual practice uh, from her perspective as, as a black woman. And Obviously, I am uh, a straight white man, and so it's. I feel it's important, even though sometimes it does feel like work, to you know read things from other perspectives. But this one really didn't feel like work. Like it's some of the most poetic prose that I've read, and I, I just you know love the experience of reading this book. And you know, so picking up on what I was just talking about, 
it's it's centered around this question of what does it mean to bring our experiences in this body, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, into our understanding of God and our understanding of ourselves. And okay. obviously she's doing that from uh, a black woman's perspective. And, you know, this is important for me as a white guy because I don't have to think about that most of the time, right? Uh-huh. This has been so much of the conversation in recent years that, you know, my perspective tends to just get taken as normal and everyone else is is expected to fit into that. And so she's, in this book, dismantling the ways that we colonize the image of God and others, is the way she puts it. Because she points out that our understanding of, of God is, is always going to be contextual, right? It's going to be coming from where we are, but you can't make that singular, as if like my perspective is the only way to understand. My context is the only true one, and so we're going to colonize that understanding and import that on others, right? That's, that's what tends to happen by theologians who look like me. And right, that makes it sound like it's, uh, you know, attacking people, but it's really her sharing her story. It's, so if you just look at like the table of contents, the chapters are things like dignity and wonder, uh, going back to the say yes earlier, the body, fear, lament, right? So looking at these, these virtues or these things that we struggle with as, as part of life, and how that uh, is informed by her story. Uh, so she talks a lot about her grandma. She talks about family trauma, which sometimes she names, sometimes she just hints at. Uh, but it is ultimately a celebration of, uh, of the body, of the self, of, of who we are actually made to be. Uh, and so I want to read a little bit here where she is. This is from the chapter talking about the body. So she says, For me, the story of God becoming body is only matched by God's submission to the body of a woman, that the creator of the cosmos would choose to rely on an embodied creation. To be grown, fed, delivered, God put faith in a body, in Mary's muscles and hormones, bowels and breasts. And when Christ's body is broken and blood shed, we should hold in mystery that first a woman's body was broken, her blood shed, in order to deliver the hope of the world into the world. Pretty good message for uh, the first Sunday of Advent there. Yeah. So, right, bringing her body in uh, and and thinking about the female experience as part of of spirituality, in in contrast to the message that often is picked up in in the church, especially the the white evangelical church that that we were both raised in. This is a quote that I think I shared as soon as I read it because it uh, was just so challenging, but so well said. She says, I think whiteness knows that the more detached I am from my body, the easier that body will be to colonize and use toward whiteness's own end. It desires that my mind be fixed firmly on an immaterial realm, that I become numb to any present and material injustices. It's this belief system that indoctrinates us to sneer at social justice but bow to evangelism. After all, evangelism has the ability to exercise the same muscles as colonization, telling someone what to think and be. It can be a form of ownership in the name of heaven. So evangelism <laughs> is colonization. So She's not pulling any punches. But like I said, it's not just this whole, here's why everyone is terrible. It's, it is a celebration of, of life and acknowledging that it has to be all of it. It has to be lament and it has to be acknowledging that rage that, like you were talking about, makes you want to turn into a dragon sometimes. <laughs> or me to, to go to comic books to, to want to hulk out. It's bringing all of that in, but to acknowledge that, that to lament what is wrong is to acknowledge that there is a deeper belief in a world that is good. And it's only by naming what is not good right here, right now, that we can make this world good here and now. Mm-hmm. So that, that would probably be my favorite book this year. That is This Here Flesh by uh, Cole Arthur Riley. I need to get that because I followed her for a long time on Instagram and I love her writing and it's so impactful. And I think that Instagram poets or Instagram writers, they get this bad rap. Well, Mm. for people who are trying to kind of gatekeep the publishing industry or Mm -hmm. uh, be snobby about poetry or, and, (laughs) but they, because it's so immediate, it can really kind of speak to what everybody's feeling on that day. Um, and you don't get that with 
a book that you have to wait a really long time for, you know, and there's Mm -hmm. something to be said for kind of experiencing that grief or that anger or the disbelief as it's happening with somebody who can put it into words better than you can, where you're just like, I don't like it. I don't like how this feels. (laughs) Um, that uh, another one of my favorite books that I read is an Instagram poet. She used the derogatory um, term, um, Kate Bear, who is um, on Mm -hmm. Instagram and hers, her book is called And Yet. She has three books of poetry and I, I just love her. It's Bear, B-A-E-R. And she takes, she does a lot of just um, what it's like to be a wife and a mom and a woman in these times. And when she's a white woman, so her experiences are, you know, different. And I think, I think it's always important when you're talking about feminist stuff to remember that white feminism is, has its own blind spots and you need to be really um, thinking about other people's experiences. Um, but she, uh, she'll take her hate mail or her, for hate DMs and she turns them into poems. Like she'll do like blackout poetry where she <laughs> takes people saying like, you're fat, you're ugly, men don't like you. I bet your husband is embarrassed about you. You know, all these mm-hmm. things. And she blasts out the words and makes poems out of them. And so nice. it's, it's really powerful. And, and, uh, and I love, I love that she keeps, I don't know. It, she just kind of just turns that feedback on its head, the trolls on on its head, and makes something beautiful, like making art. Uh, it kind of reminds me about how people used to say about Rachel Held Evans that she would turn her hate mail into origami. Like she mm. would print out really mean tweets about herself, or <laughs> and she would uh, make them into origami and like hang them around her desk. And I just like turning something horrible and ugly into something beautiful. I think is really. So I, that's also a recommendation that I would throw out there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're after here is is people that can reflect on the world, whether that's nonfiction and, and coming at it from a theological standpoint or it's fantasy or romance. That, that They're acknowledging everything that goes into being human, but finding the beauty in that uh, and not pulling any punches about how difficult it can be at times. Uh, but, but it gives us something to hope for and that, that sense of wonder. I think that in everything that I love this year, just reflecting on just the ones I've mentioned, that that's such a big part of it is where do we find wonder? So now I wanted to transition and think just what were some of the things that maybe you reread this year or older books that you picked up that you've been meaning to get to uh, that aren't as as new? Uh, Do you have any maybe comfort things you went back to or uh, other things that when you came back to it, you had a different perspective? I actually have spent a huge part of my year with this, so I'm glad that you asked. Uh, so I, I have I have converted your wife to the Sarah J. Mass Massiverse, where it's mm. I, I it's not I'm not saying I'm not saying it's the best. <laughs> I'm saying I love it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and for me, it is kind of comic book adjunct, where you're just like you've got this huge cast of characters, and they're doing mm-hmm. all these fun things, and it's the relationships and the crossovers and the anyways so I love that and so that kind of gave me the biggest book hangover because I was like more and more and more my little like (laughs) you know you kind of start looking for that serotonin hit of a really good series and you just kind of can't latch on Mm -hmm. so I started reading I think the oldest book is like I don't know it came out like 20 years ago probably um I started reading Cassandra Clare's um Shadow Hunters series and this is where I'm going to make the pitch to all the theology all the theology bros out there (laughs) in podcast land because okay this is a YA series and it is strongly in the YA especially the first series so what she does is she had there are multiple series within this larger um universe and they all build on each other but they are set in different times. And so you kind of have to go back. There's a whole, there's several reading guides that you can look at that will tell you the order to read them in. So I've read, I think I'm on the 12th one that I've read this year. So there's a lot of books to catch up on. And so they've, okay. it's been fun. Here's why I think that Bible theology nerds would like this book. <laughs> these books. Okay. So they're literally about 
demon hunting angel. Mm -hmm. So you have Nephilim. You have mm -hmm. everything is about there is this mandate from the angel. And the first angel who turns this race of shadow hunters into to give them powers of the angel. And so they'll all say they'll say different angels' names when they get their swords out. And they have seraph blades. And the, so it's all very angel adjacent. Mm -hmm. And then they have, but even to the, like to the extent where they have they're, they have these fighting partner bonds that are called parabatai bonds. And they're based on the bond that David and Jonathan had. And so Jonathan's shadow hunter was the first shadow hunter. And he makes this thing. So there's all of these connections to um, biblical and uh, biblical um, illusions. There's all these. Michael. <laughs> there's all these illusions <laughs> to biblical um, stories. But there's also a lot of cool just other mythology and she's really into literature so there's all these quotes from literature and here's what i'm gonna say here's my caveat the most popular like the, it starts out with the mortal instruments series which is my least mm -hmm. favorite okay. so like the mortal instruments series i'm like eh, this is okay it's very teen but then it does this it thing well it, and it sounds crazy to be like, no, you have to read these three books and then get to this series and then get to this series. But they all grow off of each other. It's like, <laughs> it's like, what if a bunch of Hebrew majors wrote a YA series? <laughs> what if a bunch of dorky teens? <laughs> so Mortal Instruments is meh. Infernal Devices is amazing. Dark Artifices is amazing. And then now I'm about to start the last hours series. So they're fun. They are, um, they are nerdy, enjoyable, fun. The movie adaption was horrible and the TV adaption was pretty bad too. Um, and failed miserably. So it kind of, um, I think that kind of the author, because of that kind of doubled down on writing the books. And so the books have gotten better as they go on. And so now she's like kind of, they're much more adult now, not in like adult, but like more just, yeah, they're more um, mature and layered and really interesting with like the ethical things that they're talking about. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of questions about like these Nephilim who think they're better than all the downworlders and, you know, and there's a lot, there are a lot of good parallels for the world that we live in with religious um intolerance and um so it's really interesting uh her the last book which i don't know if this is the last book ever but everybody has acting because it comes out i think in the new year so i've been trying to get caught up so that i can be <laughs> you know the in the zeitgeist uh -huh. oh, i'm part of the conversation <laughs> but yeah, the pressure i, I know yeah and I mean, this is just as a personal aside, Harry Potter was, I loved Harry Potter so much. It was so much like a part of my personality and my bookish life. And I mean, J.K. Rowling has really hurt so many people and I don't understand why she keeps doing it. And so it kind of has made that series not as fun and enjoyable for me anymore. Mm -hmm. So this has kind of been like a fun look back at some of the, like getting to be engrossed in a world with a bunch of different characters and a new, a new um, magic system and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, so it's been kind of nice to get back into something like that and have fun with it, but not feel like guilty about <laughs> supporting somebody who's hurting people. Yeah. So anyways, I've just really liked it. Okay. Let's, well, let's, let's, I just want to learn, learn more about Parabatai and Jonathan and David and, <laughs> So again, my rereads, just looking at some of my favorites this year, again, kind of in two very different categories. There's a lot of comic books that I went back to. Uh, I've already talked about some of this on, on the podcast. I read through a whole bunch of Thor comics before the new movie came out. Uh, so the writer Jason Aaron did a whole run, and he's the one who introduced the Jane Foster as Thor. And so that was, you know, I remember reading that when it came out and loving it, and so it was really nice to go back through it all at once, and it was great. Uh, there's a comic series called Saga 
uh, by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples that when it was coming out was always like at the top of, you know, the best comics of the year. It's so it's kind of a Romeo and Juliet in a very simplistic way because there's these two warring planets and uh, soldiers from both sides, you know, get together and have a baby. And so it sounds like a really simple, simplistic setup, but it's it's very adult. And, and I mean that in every sense. Um, <laughs> there is, uh, yeah, all sorts of content warnings on it. But it's really thinking about, like, how do you actually have a family um, on the run and when all these different sorts of forces are working against you and, and touches on, you know, some very difficult issues of, of sexuality and gender and and these sorts of ideas, but it's also a world where there's there's magic and space travel. So anyway, Saga, uh, they did like 60 issues, and they took a break for like two years, maybe three years. Uh, and it finally we came back this year. So I wanted to reread the first half of it, uh, which the end of it uh, definitely emotionally destroyed me again. And I'm still kind of mad <laughs> at, at the author for a choice that was made. And there's been like six issues since it came back. And I enjoyed it. Uh, it I'm still kind of waiting for it to really uh, pick back up. And again, because of some of uh, the choices that were made at the end of the other, uh, the first half, uh, I still have not fully gotten over it. So I'm still a little <laughs> mad at you, Brian Kavon. But uh, Saga is <laughs> continues to be great. So if you haven't read that, uh, you can go and read the first half of that. I definitely enjoyed doing that this year. That's a very popular choice at the public library. People love Saga. Okay, yeah. In the old graphic novel section. I also reread um, a short series on Hawkeye that the, the Disney Plus series was based on. Uh, so it was written by Matt Fraction with art by David Aha. Uh, and it's very much like Hawkeye is a street-level guy. I know Hawkeye gets a lot of hate for being like the lamest Avenger. And this doesn't arguing that he's like the coolest Avenger. It's just like, yeah, he is kind of a street-level guy, and it's him dealing with, you know, just some local thugs, this gang, the the tracksuit mafia, uh, but just really gorgeous art, and, yeah, the, the relationships that, that are formed in that comic are really great. So some non-comic book picks. Uh, probably my favorite thing that I reread this year was uh, Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. So I turned 40 this year, and and part of that... Uh, I wanted to go back to some of my favorite things that I had read and and see how they held up because Grapes of Wrath is probably my favorite book that you know was assigned reading in high school. And I actually appreciated it even more uh, reading it now, you know, as an adult, right? So it's, I mean, I assume people have heard of Grapes of Wrath, uh, but, you know, as, as someone who grew up in Oklahoma, you know, this is kind of a story that's talking about that you know, people from Oklahoma moving out because of uh, the pressures of, um, well, at the time it was the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression, but, you know, it, it, it really seems to resonate more in this time, right? There, there are cops that seem to just be out to protect the interest of uh, the wealthy elites and uh, people are struggling to survive and you're seeing the cost of capitalism which I know at the time when Steinbeck wrote it, he, he kind of got in some trouble. And, um, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't really know anything about any of this stuff, but it mm -hmm. still like spoke to me then. But, but to see how it speaks to, I think, this present moment and some of these same struggles that we're facing, just the ways that capitalism uh, can harm people. A lot of things haven't really changed in almost 100 years. And so yeah. I, I appreciated reading that. I actually finished it as we were we took a road trip out to California. So I got to finish this book about Oklahomans going to California while I was going to California. <laughs> you were an Okie. Yeah, I am an Okie, even though I moved to Kansas because <laughs> I was ready to be out of Oklahoma. All right. So those were our recommendations of things that were new this year, as well as some of the things that we went back to this year. Like we said, we're not here to you know guilt trip or gatekeep and say, you have to read this. Uh, but we do encourage you to check out you know, some of the things we mentioned, check out things that are outside your comfort zone sometimes, but also find things that, that give you comfort, um, whatever is going to give you a sense of, of wonder and, uh, and appreciate life, whether that's learning about how difficult life is for people with different experiences or it's uh, escaping to a fantasy world. 
All right, well, Dara, normally at this point we would do our pop culture consolations and desolations, but for our end-of-the-year coverage, we're actually going to have a special episode devoted just to that, so our listeners will get to hear some of your consolations for 2022 in a few weeks. Uh, But I want to thank you for coming on the show, and um, as we're closing, we've talked a lot about Instagram people, so uh, if you want (laughs) to tell us... Tell people where they can find you on Instagram for more book recommendations. So my um, Instagram is at Dara Reads Okay. It's all one word. Dara, D-A-R-A, Reads Okay. It's for Dara Reads Okay or Dara Reads Oklahoma. However you want to read that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's funny because I explained it. (laughs) (laughs) That's how jokes work. But yeah, I, I just post books that I like on there I don't do uh, usually negative reviews I don't I'll just put them in my stories because uh, I don't want to hurt author's feelings so yeah if you want to come if it's on my feed it's a book I liked um I am never going to make a reel or anything like that so you're, I will never you're too be old it. for that people yeah. talk to me about it. you could do a tiktok no, no. I, I I watch I watch TikToks two weeks after they happen like an adult mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, uh, I'm never going to be a, a 20,000, uh, person book Instagram, but if you want books that I actually really like and enjoyed, even if maybe they aren't going to win any awards, <laughs> <laughs> then come follow me. And sometimes they accidentally win awards. Yeah, you never and know. Some, you never know. That's okay. <laughs> Not about how big your platform is. It's, are you enjoying things <laughs> and helping other people find yeah. things they might enjoy? As a pop yeah. culture pastor, that, that's the evangelism that I try and do. I'm not trying to colonize your book list, but hey, we love this, so you might too. All right, well, thanks yeah. for being on the show, Dara. We will hear Thank from you, you in a few weeks. Well, as we close the show, I want to get real with you for just a minute. We talked a lot about books that inspire wonder. They give us a sense of awe for the world that we live in, the lives that we lead, and Like we said, we hope you find things that will inspire wonder. And most of all, we hope that this podcast is one of them. If you have been impacted, if this podcast has given you a greater sense of beauty that exists in this universe, then why not give that opportunity to someone else? So share this podcast on social media, subscribe, tell your friends about it. They might find some new books that they like, but most importantly, They'll witness the beauty of Pop Culture Pastor. This podcast is produced by me. Thanks again to Dara Tinius for coming on the show. As she said, you can find her on Instagram at Dara Reads OK. Follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Pop Culture Pastor. You'll find a list of all my favorite books of this year ranked. So check that out, or you can check the show notes to see the ones that we mentioned today. Our theme song is Be Thou My Vision from the 8-Bit Hymnal by Mr. Tyler Larson. Join us next week, that's right, not in two weeks, one week from today, for our coverage of the best music of 2022. You are now dismissed. Go in peace.